This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey! Good morning or afternoon, everybody. Under the Dome with CD, back in the saddle on a Louisiana Saturday morning from 10 to noon. We're back to the old school time, back back when we first started Under the Dome with CD. That kind of was originally started as the producers. Appreciate everybody for listening in, as always. And we are coming to you live in, in living color on a 1037thegame.com from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And we certainly are looking good. We are feeling good as well. Hopefully you are as well. More importantly, appreciate you listening in however you're doing. So be it through the 1037 The Game mobile app, your favorite smart speakers, or if you're out there driving through the highways and byways of Acadiana, been listening in through the Tower of Power that is the FM dial 103.7. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. And we got a lot to get to on the program today. We got two guests for you. I'll bring those up a little bit later on in the program. But if you want to get a, your shots up, get your calls in about whatever, Saints, Cajuns, LSU, we're going to cover it all. We're also going to get into a little bit of some other things as well in the world of sports. Not so much entertainment, because sometimes things just aren't necessarily as entertaining as they used to be. But we are going to get into some college football in this first half hour or so. We'll get to the Saints in hour two, just so you know. But I'm going to spend some time talking about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Because something happened earlier this week that I was a little bit verklempt about. Let's just go ahead and use fancy words right now and say that I was a little upset about what I saw on national TV on a Tuesday night. And you might have seen this as well. And in case you didn't, I'm going to say right now that this team needs to be treated with a lot more respect and one thing needs to happen. Acknowledge me. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. Oh, testify! It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. It is officially time to talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and I'm going to bang this drum until I start to see it. And not like Roman Reigns says every time he's on the mic. You will acknowledge the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge the Louisiana Raging Cajuns a lot more than you have. 
I feel like they have gotten a lot of love. They've been acknowledged at least somewhat because they've gotten a lot of these preseason college football rankings. Yes, it's Homer Radio a little bit, but hey, it's going to make a lot more sense. So for me, I think the Cajuns have gotten a lot of love. But I feel like even then, they're not getting as much love as they should because they've made a lot of the preseason college football rankings from some of these talking heads. CBS Sports, for instance, has them ranked right at 25. Athlon Sports, good friends of the program. Steve Lassen has those Cajuns ranked 23rd. Even the four-letter network put them at 23rd. But the thing that kind of sticks in my craw, I'll talk about that in a minute, is the fact that those cantankerous Chanticleers are right in front of them in that top 25, in that power rankings that they released on Tuesday night. Or Wednesday night, I don't remember. And this may be Homer Radio, but they deserve to be ranked a lot higher than the programs like Penn State, sorry, our guy Joe, even Iowa State, a team that beat the Cajuns a year ago, is in the top freaking 10. I understand they played extremely well down the stretch, but at the end of the day, you lose to a group of five team. Who's to say that doesn't happen again? I just feel like it's a slap in the face to the Cajuns because you've shown yourself to be a consistent team. And, you know, one of the big things for me is they're a lot like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFL. Damn near all their players on the starting 22 are back. This extra year is huge for several programs in the country. I think none more than the Cajuns with the great O-line continuity that they have and a quarterback that's starting for the third straight season in Levi Lewis. How often can you say you've had quarterback continuity in the last decade? I'd say outside of Terrence Broadway, it hasn't been very bleeping much. Is Terrence Broadway, Blaine Gauthier, those guys help kind of carry the load. But at the end of the day, after those guys were out the door and go and do other things, you wind up seeing that kind of continuity at quarterback go down. The offensive line continuity went down. And, you know, yes, the running back depth isn't as prolific as it's been in the past few years, but at least on paper, it looks to be a ho-hum group. You'll be seeing a lot more spreading of the wealth, if you will. And for me, I think there's going to be some freshmen that have a significant role in this group. Again, I'm going to say it, Homer Radio Alert. Kendra Williams, he's got that talent to be an all-Sun Belt running back. And I said it to my good friend Steve Lassen a few months ago. He he wanted my thoughts on the all Sunbelt Conference teams and who he should be putting in consideration for a running back. And I felt like, you know, Chris Smith obviously is going to be somebody you put in that list. You can't not put him in that list. But he's going to be, I think in my mind, a lot more suited for the special teams game because that's kind of his specialty. So I was like, I think there's a chance where you see guys like a Kendrell Williams, some other guys as well. I mean, they've gotten some really good guys in this recruiting class that is going to make this team a lot better and is going to make this a lot more of an interesting team at least on paper it, but it's not necessarily hey you know you don't have the Eli Mitchells you don't have the Eli McGuire's you don't have all, all these Alonzo Harris you don't have all these guys that have just been absolute monsters for the Cajuns in recent years Trey Regis, Ray McCallie they're not there anymore but here's the thing this team has always shown that they're able to find some really good gems in the area. Elijah Mitchell, another prime example. I guarantee you, this group is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I don't think you'll see a breakout like Chris Smith was last year, 
but he really proved himself to be a lot better at kick returns. For me, I'm just tired of seeing a program that's not being acknowledged for exactly how good they are, but how the perception is because they're with the Sunbelt Conference and they were co-champions. And it makes me wonder, what's it going to take to be considered and acknowledged as a program at the top end? You're going to acknowledge me. That's what I'm saying. You're going to acknowledge the Cajuns. Yes, they're getting a lot of love from these polls, and it's never really happened before this season. But it just feels like there's some snubbing going on here. And then seeing Coastal ahead of the Cajuns. Coastal Carolina, a team that had COVID, turned tail and ran, and they were considered the co-champions. Then they got their asses handed to them in the bowl game. Meanwhile, the Cajuns, they were co-champs, and they handled their business on December 26th and did it pretty decently, too. I think they wound up getting one hell of a performance on their on their behalf. Coastal Carolina didn't do that. I think the Cajuns should have been considered to be at least, like at the very least, should have been ranked higher than Coastal Carolina. That said, the Cajuns can say this from the highest point of Cajun Field or yell it from the highest point of Cajun Field. Acknowledge me. And they need to be acknowledged. If they can do what everybody wants them to do, is it possible? I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. But it's starting off the season with a significant win over the Texas Longhorns. It's a Herculean task, yes. Because obviously you don't have the, like, having to basically quickly scout a team like you did with the Iowa State's matchup last year. You'll have plenty of time to figure this out. But trust me, this is going to be a team with Texas where they're going to have a lot of high expectations. They're going to be ready to attack a team like the Cajuns because if they lose that one, it's a lot like LSU losing to UCLA. A lot of heat goes on the head coach. And here's the thing. The Longhorns have been a program that absolutely has the highest of high expectations. Don't forget that the only reason why Steve Sarkeesian has a job right now as a head coach is because Tom Herman got tossed out of Austin like like Jazz by Uncle Phil after about three seasons as the head honcho for UT or Texas. And I just feel like while the Cajuns still have something to prove, they're one of the new kids on the block, yes, but I think at the end of the end of the day, there's some respect that needs to be put on the name that is the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I didn't necessarily look to see if any of those polls, any of these prognostications put the dreaded UL Lafayette, the Scarlet Letters on their uniform, on, on their on their placement in the poll. But I saw Louisiana on the four letter network. I saw Louisiana when I glanced at my Athlon copy that I have at home. I think we got one inside the first South Farm Credit Studios, but I've got my own personal copy. So I can tell you, there's not a doubt in my mind that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns deserve, need, and will be acknowledged as the head of the table in the Sun Belt Conference this year. They're going to win the West. I think there's no doubt in my mind because you've got what, ULM, 
Arkansas State. Arkansas State is probably your, your biggest threat towards that, if we're being honest. ULM's not going to be – I mean, Tommy Bowden could very well not be the head coach this season. Obviously, he's dealing with family issues, and we wish him uh, Bobby Bowden nothing but the best, all the stuff that's going on with him. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family right now. But it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward if you're the Cajuns. To see if you can get to that mountaintop and hold up the 10 pounds of gold or the 10 pounds of silver because it doesn't look too golden to me, the, the title belt that they have over at you know, I, I got to say, that's kind of where it's at. You've got to win the 10 pounds of gold or the 10 pounds of silver that the Sun Belt has made of their championship, which is awesome. I'm hoping they can do that. Do they? Not necessarily sure. You just got to prove yourself, and they have every single possible chance to do so, and it's well past time to be acknowledged. Acknowledge me. All right, we're going to acknowledge... A caller on the hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Hey, CD, what's up, man? T, what is up, my brother? Not a whole lot, man. Just enjoying this Saturday morning. Uh, <clears throat> listen, man, I got to agree with you. All right, you know, all right, all right T, big, T, hold on. I, I don't. Hold on. Are you going to get suspended for this take? Oh, man, why you brought that up? <laughs> Probably so. But go ahead, <laughs> but, T, go ahead, T. Here's the thing. I'll probably be on probation, but I'm going to agree with you 1,000%. How could Iowa State be ranked in the top 10 when UL beat them last year? And uh, and then how can Coastal Carolina be ahead of UL? I don't understand that. It's, it's mind-boggling to see all that's going down. Now, obviously, you know, again, it's all about what – it's the good old – eyeball test that's what it's all about t when you you bring bring these preseason rankings that's what hurts the cajuns i think more than anything because if they were like let's just say t if they were in the big 12 now now i think they could very well get into the big 12 in the not too distant future it's all about how things go with the world of expansion the big 12 fades away we've talked about that a lot the last couple weeks but if the cajuns were in the big 12 or even the sec and you had the record you had last season or somewhere relatively close to it, I guarantee you, you would have been a top 10 or top 8 team. Maybe it just speaks to the level of play that the that the four-letter networks of the world have in terms of the eyeball test. Cajuns, Sunbelt Conference, yes, they had a great season, but we're going to drop them down to this point. I got you. I can tell you two things. If the Cajuns go down and whip Texas, uh, they'll own the Big 12. Because they will get invited. And LSU is going to surprise some people this year, man. Love your show, bro. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you later, man. I I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it, T. As always, appreciate him joining the show. And hopefully he doesn't go on probation talking about the Louisiana raging Cajuns and them being good. Because we all know T's gotten on probation in the past from his group of friends, his inner circle, if you will. So trust me, T. I'm your friend. We can. I'm hardly going to endorse what you just said. But we're going to take a timeout. I'm going to talk about the, the LSU Tigers now. I'm going to go ahead and flip it over. If you got some takes about LSU, because obviously there's been a lot of things going on with this program over the last couple of days. Namely, now you know who is the head of the table. We bring up Roman Reigns again. 
we are officially acknowledging the fact that the cage that the LSU Tigers have a quarterback in house ready to go to be the starter week one. And Coach O talked to the media yesterday. We got some sound for you there as well. Trust me, we got a lot to get to. And only two hours to do it. As always, we're rolling till noon today. And you're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game, 1037 thegamecom We got Apollo Dez joining us in about 10 minutes or so, talking some Houston Astros baseball as well. So make sure you get your shots up in the next segment, 337-706-0111. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make the rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD. Yeah. Who will break it all down for us. He's serious. He reminds me of Joe in a lot of ways. The intangibles, the things that he does, his work ethic. He wants to be number one. He doesn't say much. Uh, there's not a lot of joking around him. He's uh, always... Uh, Doing well in the classroom, always competing to be first, always competing in the weight room, always studying. Football guy, football family, very competitive. He wants to be great. So I see that from him. He ain't got to tell me about it. He does have the intangibles. I thought he had a, a very good day today. Uh, he, he's, uh, he's tall. He's smart. You can see a lot of things. Uh, I think there's some things that he has to improve on, but he's a young player. And uh, that's more or less uh, things that Jake can work, him, work with him. I do believe he's going to be a championship quarterback. I believe in him. I like the take that Ed Ogeron just had. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, by the way. For me, I think Ed Ogeron making that take, saying that Max Johnson reminds him a lot of Joe Burrow, it puts a lot of pressure on him, justifiably so. But I think there's every chance that he lives up to those expectations. We'll be talking with Apollo Dez in about 10 minutes or so. In the meantime and in between time, we'll take your calls, 337-706-0111. Give some details and a few about something cool coming up that you can be a part of. But right now, we're going to go out to the 1037 Game Hotline, try and keep this conversation going. Hello, Yon Under the Dome. Hey, good morning, Mr. World Famous. How you doing? Mr. Jamie, how you doing, my good brother? I'm doing all right, just living the dream. Just uh, wait, wait, country, wait for so school to start, a huh? Big old track to just go by. Just, just <laughs> waiting for the school year to start, huh? Oh, man, look. My year already started. I've been back at work since Wednesday, so it's nice to have a, a weekend to just have to not do anything. Nice, nice. So what you got in your mind today? So, two things. First of all, I agree with you about the Cajuns. They should be ranked higher. However, I'm kind of glad that they're ranked where they are because, you know, when you're disrespected, you do one of two things. You either work hard to earn that respect, or you whine and complain and then prove that you're not worthy of it. And I think the Cajuns are going to have be playing angry. They'll play with a chip on their shoulder. Say, look, we deserve this respect. You're going to give it to us, and we are going to take it from you. So I'm kind of happy with where they are because they always tend to do better when they're underestimated. And uh, my second question is this, and it's about Max Johnson. Do you think – and I, I'm not – questioning Coach O, but do you think he really feels that way or do you think he's just trying to hype him up and get him excited because <laughs> he's kind of their their hope for the beginning of the season? 
Jamie, here's the thing when it comes to um, uh, Max Johnson. I, I was going to get to this in this segment. For what it's worth, I think Max Johnson has every chance to be that guy. At the end of the day, he's undefeated as a quarterback in the SEC. He, yes, he played Ole Miss in the year, and Ole Miss just necessarily is. It's going to be if when they play Ole Miss later this year, I'd say pound the over on that ball game first off. But you beat Florida. Now, yes, it took a guy throwing a shoe to wind up setting you up for that game-winning field goal at the end of the day. But I think we can all say Max Johnson still looked good. He looked like a quarterback that can fit in the SEC. I think there's so much things, so much positives that we can take away from it. And the fact that you know we see it all the time. Guys who are second-generation talents have been able to perform at or exceeding some of the expect some of the stuff that their fathers or parents did. I mean, you'll look at Mondo Duplantis. He just won a gold medal. Yes, it was for Sweden, but he won a gold medal. Something his parents never did. He's one of the best coming out. His family is just full of great athletes. People have said his sister, his younger sister, is probably better than all of them put together. Hopefully she can win a gold before long. I think there's so much good with what we've seen with Max Johnson just alone in terms of the little bit of time we've seen him in those two games that he did start in. I think more importantly, you've got a chance to see this guy perform. I think he's going to perform at a high level. I've got to give him his propers. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that we see Max Johnson reach a certain level. Again, I've said it before. Eight and four is the floor for LSU. If you go below that floor, Ed Ogeron very well could be out the door when it's all said and done. I think that he can get this team well above that floor and maybe help them avoid one or two landmines. That's why I have the floor at 8-4. I talked about it before. There are landmines throughout the season. UCLA could very well be one of those games. I'm hoping that's not one of those games, but we all know that's something that we need to be talking about. Yeah, I got you. Well, I'm not questioning his talent. I'm just asking, is he really Joe Burrow-esque? That's because Joe Burrow, that dude, you know, I'm no LSU fan, but even I could sit back and admire what he did and go, man, that dude is amazing. So is he really at that level? I know he's not at that level yet, but do you think he can really get to that level or maybe not so much? I think he can. I think he can. The biggest thing for him, and I've talked about this a lot with Joe Burrow, I mean, you bring up him, Joe Burrow had two years with LSU to really develop and come to come into his own. And again, he's a coach's son. And one of the big things I noticed with him is the game slowed down for him during that Heisman Trophy campaign. If we can see Max Johnson be that way and the game slows down for him to where he becomes too easy, I guarantee you Max Johnson could be at the same level, if not better, than Joe Burrow. It's all, that's what it's all about, though, with, with any quarterback. The game has to slow down for him. And once that happens, I guarantee you he is going to be making things look way too easy. And again, he has a dad that, despite the fact that it was a lot more of a defensive effort from John Gruden's team back in the early 2000s, he has a Super Bowl ring, and he absolutely has just talent. I, I'm looking forward to see what he does. All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, taking my call. Appreciate it, and enjoy listening to you. You have a good one. Good, uh, good to talk with you. Good to talk to you as well, man. Appreciate the call. If you want to call up three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. So far, two calls and two segments. You gotta love it. But I want to get to some of the stuff involving Max Johnson. And again, 
Now we have a head of the table when it comes to LSU football. Now we get Max Johnson being the starting quarterback. And it's justifiable, at least so. I mean, obviously you had a situation where Miles Brennan had a freak accident trying to get in one more fishing trip before the start of fall camp, injures his arm. Now it's time for the son of Big Bad Brad Johnson to take over the helm as the next QB for the Tigers. And he'll have all the tools to succeed. And I think it's the fact that he has so so many weapons to work with. He has Kayshawn Boutte, who we absolutely was using like crazy, I believe, in the final game of the season last year. He was using him, and he's going to be huge for him. Even tight end position is going to be pretty darn good. And I'm playing at O's right. He talked about the, the position at tight end. Obviously, Nick Stores is probably done for his career after his injury, but there's a lot to be hopeful for if you're LSU and you're wanting to find somebody that can be a true tight end, and one guy in particular is Cole Taylor, but he also talks about a former STM Cougar possibly jumping into that position. Pat Mashborn's a guy that's got to come along, you know, and uh, I believe in Cole. Uh, he's got bigger, he's about 245, 250. Uh, Jack is a very athletic tight end. Uh, we may have to move somebody else if one of those guys get hurt because we play with a tight end and mostly in the core uh, most of the time. And uh, but I do believe we got some guys that can do it. I'm really looking forward to Jack and uh, and uh, Pat Mashburn uh, backing up Cole and going in there and rotating to get some reps. But it looks like Cole's going to be our main guy. And I like the fact that he did mention Jack best. I think there's no doubt in my mind. Jack is going to be somebody over the next, I'd say, like couple of years is going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with. I think once he puts on a little more weight and looks like a true like prototypical tight end, not I mean I think you see guys like Kyle Trask out there. Yeah, you see some Kyle Pitts, excuse me, not Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask is the quarterback. See, this is what happens when you have two Kyles in the way when it comes to like tight end and quarterback combination. But Kyle Pitts, I don't know why I was thinking Kyle Trask, but Kyle Pitts didn't fit the mold of a prototypical NFL tight end. But he changed the way people think about tight ends, and I feel like that's going to be something that we see somebody like a, you know, Jack Besh do. And I look forward to that. Obviously, some of the expectations are for this defense to improve. We talked a lot more about the offense, and the fact you have somebody like a Jack Besh, he's going to fit maybe the more of the new mold, the new breed of LSU tight ends, or tight ends, period, because LSU and tight ends just haven't necessarily worked out that well in terms of the passing game. But Ed Ogeron wants to see this. Jake Peets wants to see this. Probably DJ Mangus wants to see it as well. He wants to see the tight end be utilized a lot more in the game because that's how we stand in this modern game. Going back to the defense. Let's be honest. You can only go up from how historically bad they were. They were god-awful. And I think we see this team improve in a lot of different ways. One guy that's going to be probably integral, at least on the secondary side of things, has got to be LCA Sage Ryan, right? And Odo Ogeron talked about him, what he brings to the table. Again, this is a guy that is coming in with one thing, high expectations. He had a big pick at the end of the the game today. At the end of uh, the team period. Our guys love him. He's probably going to be one of our top returners. Uh, uh, We're going to use him in a kicking game. Uh, we want to use him at nickel, but we also want to play him at safety. We're looking at we're looking at a guy being a, a freshman to come out and play excellent on special teams, uh, back up Cordell maybe Cordell flat at nickel, and also learn the safety. He's very smart. He's uh, 
We want to send him. I think he's a good blitzer. Uh, he's very aggressive, very smart, uh, ball hawk. I think he's going to be a great player for us. And, yeah, I think he's going to be phenomenal for LSU. I'm hoping he can kind of get an immediate impact thing. And, again, I've talked about it. I mentioned it earlier. The floor is 8-4 and four for LSU. You cannot have two straight bad years if you're the LSU head coach. It's going to be a big year for Ed Ogeron proving, hey, last year was an absolute fluke. Forget about COVID. This is an opportunity for LSU to rebuild and prove themselves to get back into contention for the SEC West, going to Atlanta, winning the national title again. That's going to be the biggest things. Eight and four, eight and four is the floor. I think you have every chance to be ten and two, nine and three. Again, one of those landmine teams could pull your pants down or catch you with your pants down. And with Max Johnson, I think there's a better chance the Tigers get to ten and two. But it all starts how they do against the UCLA Bruins. I'll do more of a deep dive on the Tigers and Cajuns opening season opponent in the next couple of weeks. Because believe it or not, we're only four weeks away from the start of the season. September 4th. I cannot freaking wait. Please, COVID, do not screw it up. But I'll give you some details right now about what we got going on. The Under the Dome with, with CD Fantasy League. It is coming back as part of 1037 Games Fantasy Football Leagues. We got that coming up before too long so make sure you get in on the action if you want to join in obviously you can call in 337-706-0111 but let's try and do that more along the lines of off-air type stuff like i'm i'm on this show i can't necessarily take everybody's calls but if you want to hit us up you can also hit us up through facebook through twitter hit us up in the dms we'll get you in to the cd fantasy football league and trust me we'll have a lot of fun we'll have a good time and that's gonna be on september 1st we'll be live out at twin peaks on johnson and make sure you get your shots in and now if you want to kind of poke fun at me let's let's get let's get into it let's have some fun and let's do this thing the right way all right we're past due for a break we're gonna get apollo dez on the program next Talking Astros right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up, man. I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Now we're going to get out to the 103.7 The Game hotline. Let's get into it. With our guy, Apollo Dez of Apollo Media, talking some Houston Astros. The team's been a little bit on, a little bit of a skid lately. Lost last night, five to four to the Twinkies. But let's get out to the phone line right now. Apollo, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's a yes. The Astros lost last night, five to four. But I'm absolutely just looking forward to seeing how they do the rest of the way in this series. It was a tough extra innings loss last night, but it just feels like the Astros, as of late, just haven't necessarily been at the level we expect them to. Obviously, you wind up having a tough start to the series, losing the first two games. Obviously, I think Thursday can be talked talked away a little bit because of the fact you had the Dodgers game go late Wednesday night or early Thursday morning 
and then it didn't get in till what, like 7 a.m. on Thursday morning, and you had to kind of hurry yeah. up and get back? Yeah, and then you had a you had a wreck, too, coming back from the airport, so the boys didn't even get in, I think, the same store around 9, so they probably weren't in bed until at least 10 a.m., so that quick turnaround on Thursday it was tough. Last night, that extra inning roll kind of reared its ugly head again. Uh, but the bullpen, the new the new guys showed up, right? I, I think we've seen some positive things uh, from them. Obviously, when you give up an earned run, it, it's tough when there's a runner starting on second base. Um, but other than that, I mean, it kind of the guys kind of look lethargic at the plate. We're you know we're in the dog days of summer, so um, it's different. I mean, we were in that sixty game sprint. We talked about it all year, right? Last year was that sixty game sprint, and now we're back to that one sixty two grind. And I think it's just the bumps and bruises that come with it, the little lethargic that we look like. Uh, this past this past week or so, it just it's been disheartening to see that, especially with these last two games against the Twins. Because while you know you can look back at the last week or so where you've had games against the San Francisco Giants, you beat them on Friday night, but then you lose two straight. Then you split against the Dodgers, two of the best teams in the NL in a very stacked NL West. But now you're playing against the Minnesota Twins, who just on paper haven't necessarily been as like great as maybe some might think. But, I mean, they're, they're towards the bottom of the barrel in the AL Central, and somehow, some way, you're losing to them. It just sets a, a dangerous precedent as you kind of get into the home stretch as you start to get into mid-August. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think there is a uh, – I think we've seen it throughout the year. The Astros play up or down to their competition. Um, I think this past week was just a, a heavy toll, right? You, had, you played the top two teams in the NL with, with the Giants and the Dodgers. Um, the Giants series is really, really good baseball. Um, even though we lost that series, it just was good, hard playing baseball. And then the Dodgers series, obviously, uh, it was it was just a um, – it felt like a ticking time bomb was going to go off at any point in that series with the fans and how unruly they were because of all the animosity of 2017. So – it, it almost feels like this, this Twins matchup was like a track week. Uh, when you think about in the college football uh, world where you, you have a big matchup on the road somewhere and then you have a home game against, you know, someone of a lesser talent and you kind of get caught sleeping. And I think that's what's happening with the Astros right now against the Twins because, like you said, the Twins are the bottom of the barrel. Twins are bottom of the barrel. I mean, we can. I mean, at this point, heading into the series, I was starting to call them the Tins. I was wanting to call them that because, honestly, they haven't had a whole lot of Ws to put up when it was all said and done. But when you look at the way the Astros were about a week ago, at the trade deadline, they were very quiet, relatively speaking. Were you surprised at that? Um, yes and no. I mean, they went out and got Kendall Graveman, right, who's been an absolute stud. Um, you got rid of Abraham Toro, who's now the Pacific Northwest Pete Rose all of a sudden. And you went and got Yimi Garcia. You went and got uh, the kid from Cleveland and – you kind of bolster your pin. The Astros, I think everyone, if you if you watched one and a half innings this year, that the Astros bullpen was the uh, big issue to keep them uh, for competing for a World Series. And, and James Cook in the front office went out and got those pieces to get it. Obviously, there was no big splash uh, trade. There's no Grinky. There's no Verlander type deals at the you know midnight hour. It was just, hey, we have a problem. We have an issue. Let's get that fixed. And they did, and they stayed with uh, under the luxury tax as well. So uh, Mr. Crane doesn't have to write a, a, a fat check on that luxury tax this upcoming year. So it, it doesn't surprise me that they stayed put with only the moves. It, 
did surprise me because when they moved that Miles Straw train, it just felt like something else was happening. It felt like we were going to try to go get a Buxton or try to go get someone else in the outfield at Chris Bryant. Um, but it didn't pan out that way, and they just stayed put. They got the moves that they thought were going to benefit this team, and we've seen it. In the, in the last week and a half, this bullpen has uh, emerged to be uh, better than what it was before the trade deadline. I was going to get to Miles Straw like, if you didn't get to it. Because I was blown, I was blown away by that at first, but then I'm thinking about it. Like, was Miles Straw being traded more of an endorsement of Chaz McCormick? Because this guy has come onto the scene red hot. Like from the second he showed up, it's like, oh hey, Chaz McCormick. Just some, it feels like it's a name that you would have auto generated on MLB the Show. But this guy has absolutely just come alive for this franchise. He's definitely been a big surprise for this 2021 season. Do you think it was more of an endorsement towards maybe building the future with Chaz McCormick being one of those core guys in the outfield? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it was, if you would have told me told months ago that Miles Straw played himself into value where you get a major league bullpen arm and a catching prospect from Miles Straw, I would have said you're crazy. But he did. And the same thing with Abraham Toro as well. They both played um, to a level that provided value for the front office to – make a trade, and, and I think the front office probably thought, hey, this is probably the highest um, the highest peak Miles Straw will be value-wise, and, and we're going to try to cash in, and, and and that helps with Chad McCormick emerging and, and, and pushing him. I think we saw Miles Straw get, um, become a better baseball player with the emergence of Chad McCormick, this healthy competition, and when Chad's got the at-bats and has been getting the at-bats, he – he finds ways to get RBI stakes and, and some boom buys, and it, it's been great to see because uh, he doesn't get cheated out of fastballs. He goes up there and takes hacks. And I'm a big fan of Chad McCormick and also Jake Myers, who they just called up. I know the front office loves him. I think he may be more of the future. I think Chaz may just be a, a stopgap until Jacob uh, Myers emerges. But uh, Chaz, Chaz is a great, great player, and uh, I'm excited to see more at-bats from that guy. When do we expect Alex Bregman to be back? Because I, I, I think next weekend might be the magic number, but when do you think he could be back? Yeah, I, I think I think it'll be on that next road trip. Uh, the Astros, you know, obviously have uh, a game today, tomorrow, a day off, and then Tuesday, Wednesday at home before they take off uh, to L.A. I think they're just going to keep him uh, down in AAA throughout that time to get more reps. And I don't know. Hamstrings are tough, right? Hamstring injuries always seem to flare up. They don't go away. It's that soft tissue. So I, I, it's it's going to be tough throughout the rest of the year. And I think it's going to – I I know Alex Bregman is probably one of the toughest competitors in, in the show, um, and he's going to play and fight through anything. But hamstrings are tough. So I think you just got to keep them, keep them on the shelf as, as long as you can because you're going to need them come September and October. Apollo, you know, one more before I let you go. It's all right now, Apollo Dez, part of Apollo Media. And you look at what this team has. It's like, I, I'm just wondering, what's it going to take to really, like, I know obviously right now you're still in firm control, at least somewhat, of your fate in the AL West. But to be able to make that run, I think many people want to see, because I think the Astros fans want to see another run to prove people wrong in a lot of different ways, because obviously you've seen. Uh, I mean, then earlier in the week, you had the Dodgers just throwing stuff on the field while their pitcher was on the field. Like, what was going? Like, that was that was something that I, I still can't believe actually happened. But I feel like the Astros fans and the Astros as well want to try and kind of wipe away a lot of the the hatred by proving them like, hey, we're we're still good with or without these 
trash can scandals. Let's go ahead and like make a run. What's it going to take to make a run after what they've done in the trade deadline? Yeah, I think just getting everyone healthy, getting Yuli healthy, getting Bregman healthy. Um, I, I think this lineup one through one through nine can compete with anyone. Uh, the rotation is a is a issue that I have um, as a big J journalist media member. I, I do think that they have the weapons to to make a run. You need a lot of luck, but right now you need these guys um, in the rotation to get extended. You know, we're, we're kind of falling back in that early May where the the pitchers aren't going you know more than five innings, and it, it's a taxing thing on your bullpen. It builds up like compound interest. So. Um, we really need the, those guys to get extended a bit. We need Luis Garcia to get extended. We need Ukrini back. We need Jacob Rizzi to get into some type of good form um, because there's a lot of roster spots come October, and there's going to be a lot of people um, left out because there's a lot of people that can play and step up. And I think it's going to be great because you're going to see competition within the team to showcase and show that, hey, I deserve a, a spot on this October playoff roster and um, it's only going to produce good baseball. So I think the uh, the biggest thing is our rotation. I think the our, our lineup is second to none, and the bullpen now obviously with the upgrade. So I think it falls on the starting pitching. Um, obviously, Lance McCullers is emerging as an ace. You have Zach Greinke. You have Framber Valdez. Um, but you need the other guys to just keep going and keep pushing and breed competition. Apollo, appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, bro. Absolutely. Thanks, bro. All right. That was Apollo Dez. You can follow him on Twitter at Apollo Dez. And also you can follow him on Apollo Dez one, excuse me, Apollo Dez one. And also follow them at Apollo H O U. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, I'll talk a little bit about what happened last night on the basketball court with team USA. It felt like it felt like a made for TV sports movie for being honest. And we'll talk about that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. don't lie because when you listen to under the dome with cd your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent and they spell disaster for you as sacrifice now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on acadiana's sports station 1037 the game welcome back to under the dome with cd right here on 1037 the game 1037 the game.com coming to you live from the first south farm credit studios and let me just say this i was blown away by this last night and it kind of just I it popped in my head during the game last night and I'm talking about the gold medal game between USA and France and don't ask why but this is exactly what I thought of D2 the Mighty Ducks it essentially felt like that you take Iceland you turn them into France Iceland whipped their tail end in kind of that, that pool play to determine who's going to wind up going into the gold medal game and seeing how things go and, and who advances to the knockout stage. That's what happened. USA got beat. Now, mind you, I think it was double elimination or it was a round robin or something in the D2, the Mighty Ducks. But the, but the point remains the same. You played the team that beat you in the final. A shot at redemption. And let's be honest, this team absolutely put it together. They crushed it. In this ball game, it got a little nerve wracking at times, 
But after a really, you know, short kind of start, I was blown away how quickly it was a slow start because they just they could not shoot a three pointer to save their lives. Mind you, I'm not that great of a three point shooter either, so I think we're all in the same boat. But I gotta say, I was pleased by the performance that I saw from USA men's basketball. The fact that they won it was great. And I also got to say this. I'm so happy for one Drew Holiday. I think he absolutely deserves fantastic stuff. He deserves all the plaudits in the world for what he did for the New Orleans Pelicans for years. And was kind of one of the, consistently one of the like sneaky good players on that team for a long time. And for me, seeing him in a year go from being traded to the, from the Pelicans to the Milwaukee Bucks. He wins an NBA championship and a gold medal for the USA basketball men's national team. Can't hate it one bit. We'll be back after this wrap-up hour number one. Now, hour two coming up in just a little bit. Back after this on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 103.7 the game and good afternoon everybody welcome back to under the dome with cd hour two of two sweet hours coming your way right now and I'm absolutely just loving it. You know, obviously we talked a lot of college football in hour one. I get into some more pro stuff here in hour two. That's how I like to do it. I like to spend the 10 o'clock. Obviously, you know, once we get to college football season, about a month's time. I, mean, I cannot wait, to be honest with you. But before we get into some Saints talk, we're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this Worldwide! And you can hear this worldwide on 1037thegame.com. Your favorite smart speakers, but if you're listening out there in the Acadian area and you're driving those highways, those byways, and you have your stereo tuned in to 103.7 on that Tower of Power, appreciate you listening in as well. He has the tower power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. And the man is back with you on a fantastic Saturday afternoon. Obviously, we need to get into some Saints talk. Am I right? And I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned about the state of the quarterback situation with the New Orleans Saints. I got to say, I was expecting to see a little bit more from Jameis Winston. Mind you, I expected a lot more out of that guy. And lo and behold, he just, like, 
there's been moments where he hasn't necessarily looked as great. I mean, the quarterback battle is almost a war of attrition to, at a certain point, like from what I've seen. Now, obviously, this time next week, we'll have seen a entire situation where they're going to be in a preseason game. One of those three preseason games. Thank God it's only three. I couldn't stand having just one of them play, or four of them play over the course of a preseason, especially after what I saw Thursday night with the Hall of Fame game, which was an absolute like hot mess express. But then again, that's preseason football. We're talking about glorified practice. But with the Saints, I'm wondering what this situation is going to look like at quarterback. Because obviously, you've got a lot of questions about it. You as a listener, you meaning New Orleans Saints as well. The New Orleans Saints and everybody else has questions about the quarterback position. And from what I've seen, there's nothing that really kind of stands out to me as inherently good. There's some stuff that's inherently bad. I mean, you have Jameis Winston going through the gauntlet drill and looking like the Shockmaster whenever he made his debut and about fell flat on his ass. Like, he was stumbling out of there like he was like 2 a.m. at Nighttown or any other local establishment where alcoholic beverages are indeed consumed. He definitely didn't look like he was all there. And I hope he can, he can get better. I think it's just, it's going to be a step-by-step thing. But Sean Payton talked a little bit about the quarterback situation and mentioning, you know, grading QB passes. Somebody asked him about that. Like, how does that kind of fit into the overall scheme of how they grade out certain players and how quarterbacks are? And obviously this is a different year than any other, I think, in Saints history. And he talked about what it means to grade quarterback passes and how it kind of plays into the grand scheme of things. I, I think that's important. You know, where it's, where it's going and then, you know, is it effective? It's easy for me to say, hey, lead your team and, and find ways to score. It's an imperfect game at times, and, and, and so you're, you're working with the progression, where their eyes are, you know, the protections, all of, all of those things. Ultimately, um, you know, how efficient you can do that, how effective you can do that. Um, but where, where it's going at times is, is really the decision column in the grade. You know, do you like the decision? Yeah, yeah, every, every, every throw has got a, a decision grade. And I'm wondering how many of those have gotten some negative grades, at least some of because there's been some moments in trend camp from what I've been able to kind of surmise. I'm not physically there. That's not why I've been, you know, producing the afternoon programs like I have. Appreciate our guy James. He's been he's been crushing it in my mind the last couple of weeks, taking over a position that I've held for so damn long. I basically was holding this thing down for a long time, almost as long as Bruno San Martino's WWF title reign. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Obviously, been moving into a different role within Delta Media, but I'm glad to be here with you on Acadiana Sports Station each and every Saturday morning. And obviously, we used to be on from 9 to 11. Now we're on from 10 a.m. to noon. It's back to almost the old time that Under the Dome was on. Because I was trying to remember, like, and my dad actually brought this up to me. Happy birthday to my dad, by the way. He's going to be turning 61 manana. So happy early birthday to you, Pops, if you're listening in. And I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. And again, appreciate you all listening as well. If you want to call in, 
about the Saints, 337-706-0111. But some of my general observations have been that they're letting the, this play out a certain way. Now I'm wondering if we see Jameis Winston, like if, if we see Jameis crap the bed just in preseason, because I talked about it a lot. I think Jameis Winston has is going to be your quarterback week one. But if he doesn't perform to a certain level in the next couple of weeks, I got a feeling that we're going to be seeing one guy come out on top. And we're going to see Taysom Hill be the starting quarterback. And if that happens, this team's going to be hamstrung as all get out. Because not only do you not have Michael Thomas for the first four weeks of the season, you have to figure out what your situation is going to be. If Taysom Hill is your starting quarterback, I could very well see this team be a something that is reminiscent of Vermilion Parish like football. I can tell you that right now. Like I'm talking wing T veer type stuff where passing is largely optional. You'll be running the ball probably seventy percent of the time. Because that's kind of how I think that's if you want to wind up using Taysom Hill to the fullest extent of the law and to his fullest level. I guarantee you that's what's going to happen. I'm looking forward to seeing how this whole thing plays out, though. Next week, we're getting the first preseason game, the first of three, and we're going to see how this whole thing does indeed turn out. Yeah, it's a week from today. We'll have our first preseason game on a Saturday. Saturday night against the Baltimore Ravens. Who, by the way, like it's amazing to think that like if there's one team that's had the Saints number, it's the Baltimore Ravens. Outside of a couple years ago when you had Justin Tucker, Mr. Consistency, miss an extra point and help the Saints win the ballgame, the Ravens have beaten the Saints. And this is a Ravens team that I think with Lamar Jackson, obviously you won't be seeing a whole hell of a lot of Lamar, maybe one series, and that'll be it for him. But you have to like ramp yourself up in this like week one of the preseason and figure out who's going to stand out on top. We'll be talking about that a lot more in the next couple weeks because the Saints are gearing up. It's wild to think like we're already seven days away from the first preseason game. We're about twenty eight days away from September fourth opening day. For college football. Yes, you got week zero the week before that, but who cares about that? We're more concerned, especially here in the heart of Cajun country, Cajuns, Texas, which I can I I think Fox may wind up with the best ratings out of week one. Because not only do you have Cajuns, Texas, you've got like two really rabid fan bases, but you also got, you know, LSU UCLA. And I think if we want to pull up the demos. I think Louisiana is going to be one of the biggest rating booms for Fox that particular day. He's to talk about the fact that you got the Cajuns fan base, the diehard Cajuns fans. You got the LSU fans as well, but I think you've also got that good old Venn diagram of fans. And I'm not going to get into the whole conversation I've tried to get into in the past and make it civil discourse, but there are those fans that do support both. We're not going to get into that conversation about it, but I know there's some that are, if you put Cajuns, LSU circles into a Venn diagram, 
there's a sliver. Mind you, I think it's a bigger sliver than a traditional Venn diagram looks like. But work with me here. Put the middle picture together. And I can tell you there is a conglomerate. There's a, there's a mashup that says, hey, the Cajuns and LSU, they mesh well together. And you have people who are fans of LSU who are probably more LSU but do support the Cajuns, especially when they're good. And spoilers, they are very good right now. And I said it before. I've said it in the past. I think that if Ed Ogeron does indeed like fall below the mark and some other things do happen, I wouldn't be surprised if Ed Ogeron loses his job. But more importantly, I think there's a chance, and I'm just saying, I think there's a chance that Billy Napier slides in. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think it's a distinct possibility that we do indeed see something like that happen. But going back to the Saints, I think it's just the quarterback position more than anything is my biggest concern. And it's probably more of a concern now that we've started to see we're more than a week into practice and a training camp, and we're seeing some inconsistencies from the quarterback play in particular. And I'm hoping that changes. I'm hoping that turns around because that was not necessarily a great look. And the fact that you don't have a guy like Traquan Smith there ready to go, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to turn out. Because, again, Traquan Smith has got to be your wide receiver one with Michael Thomas gone for the first month. And if you just have Jameis Winston and... Taysom, yeah, Jameis Winston out there. I think you see Traquan get a lot more love. But I have a feeling that in those first four weeks of Taysom's there, it's going to be very much a 70-30 or 75-25 type thing where you'll see a lot more run game, run plays or run designs versus pass plays because of the fact you're, you're kind of hamstrung and you've got one of the best running backs in the league, you've got one of the most like plug-and-play quarterbacks in the history of the league in Taysom Hill, who could very well just work out really well as a wide receiver or tight end. And you were kind of uncertain about what your tight ends look like in the post-Jared Cook era. Obviously, Adam Troutman's going to be a guy you're going to be relying on a lot. And I think he's going to do a great job in year two. But you're going to have to get some stuff going. And Carl Granderson is just absolutely beasting right now because obviously practice is going on as we speak right now. We'd love to get some people on to talk about the Saints, but we're going to try and try and hold off on that until probably next week because I want to try and get some other things going on. Little Jordan Humphrey is somebody that you need to look at as well. Again, all the way here for it. Hopefully, we can get some perspective on the New Orleans Saints here on this program before too long. And I talk about LSU UCLA. You have a chance to see this live and in living color, people. Live and in living color as part of the Tiger Road Trip of a lifetime. You gotta make sure to get in on this action as soon as possible to see LSU play UCLA. I I'm, I still cannot believe we're giving this away. It is a amazing package. First off, you get to go to UCLA. Well, I'm not necessarily a big fan 
of the Flake Coast. This is an opportunity of a lifetime to go see LSU play UCLA at the Rose Bowl. This Tiger Road trip includes some round-trip charter, air transportation for Baton Rouge to Los Angeles, hotel accommodations, game tickets, airport and hotel transfers, as well as a pregame party. You get to go party in L.A. right near Rose Bowl Stadium and then go over to the game. It's fantastic. Go enjoy yourself when LSU plays UCLA. And they win. You can be having a little post-game party, maybe pop a little bit of the bubbly and enjoy yourself over in La La Land. And this Tiger Road trip, as always, is driven by Sterling Automotive Group, Total Travel Sports, and Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. So get in on the action today. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get to a lot more about, I think, the NFL in general. Maybe we'll get some other stuff in this next segment. But also, in about 10 minutes, 13 minutes or so, we're going to have on our guy, John Eric Poli, talking UFC 265. And we're also probably going to talk about Dustin Poirier, what's next for him. Because obviously, I think that, that scab still needs to be picked at just a little bit more. We'll talk about that next in hour number two of two, right here on 1037 The Game. At 1037thegame.com, you listen to Under the Dome with CD. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Going to be having on our guy in about 10 minutes or so. Good friend, John Eric Poli, my MMA news, going to talk UFC 265, which is tonight. I'm absolutely, I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a pretty decent card. Not necessarily as great as some of the last few have been, but I still think UFC 265 is going to be something. If you're a fan of the fight game, this is going to be a golden opportunity to go check out a really solid card. And I think it's in Houston, Texas. you got to love what they got going on over there. The sad part is it's going to be for the Heavyweight, the interim heavyweight championship, Derek Lewis, going to be your main event against Cyril Gain. Jose Aldo in the co-mains going to be really good as well. I think there's also some of the good stuff. But overall, main card looks solid. But we'll, we'll talk about that more in the next 10 minutes or so. Right now, we go out to the phone lines. and we'll get some more Saints talk going. Hello, y'all under the dome. Hey, CD, man. I T. got breaking news for you. What you got? My buddy said I'm not on probation <laughs> because they hope freaking the Cajuns go to Texas and bust some Longhorn butt. And if they if they need living quarters to bring out there with air conditioning, we got that covered too. All right, T. I, I love you, Have man. That, that, that was that was Bye. good stuff. That was good stuff. Appreciate the 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 rare double dip from T. You know, T. T. Trying to be like George Costanza out there, double dip in the chip. Gotta love it. And if you want to call in, get in on the action. 337-706-0111. That made me laugh a little bit. But I want to talk about, you know, there was some of the stuff I wanted to get to as well in the show because there was just so much happening in the last week or so. And I'm not like, it's crazy how, like, since I've been, like, largely, for the most part, away 
from the world of sports talk on a day-to-day basis. I'm still keeping tabs on it, obviously. Is Like you out there, I've got a phone. I've got the ability to just go check out every single thing that's going on in the world of sports. But it's not necessarily like, – I'm not looking not, – not pouring over it every single day, and sometimes I'm getting like 50,000 notifications all at once. And I'm absolutely just loving some of the stuff I saw last night after USA won the gold. It was so great to see that. Like I said it earlier, it felt like something out of a Disney movie. Like if you go watch D2 The Mighty Ducks, it was basically that. It was the exact same thing as what I saw in that in that gold medal game where USA was playing France. They lost to him in the playing in the not the playing game, but pool play. They advanced all the way to the finals and needed to win. And they did. Very impressive. Love that. It was I think that you can absolutely say they deserve to win that. And Team USA continues to be a surprise. Like and I was thinking about this, like back whenever they lost those couple friendlies, if you will. No, they weren't necessarily like friendlies, like we see in the world of soccer, heading into World Cups. We see these friendlies pop up, but those weren't necessarily indi- indicative of what this team was. Because let's be honest, the NBA season had just ended. I think you give that team plenty of time to warm up, and obviously, if you had that month gap between like the NBA Finals, and the Olympics starting, you would have seen probably a, a NBA team that would have been damn near untouchable. I think France may have been that one team that would have been in pain. Evan Fournier and Rudy Gobert were just like pains in the ass last night against the Team USA. So I was, I was glad to see that. But what I wasn't glad to see was... This is two things, actually. One thing I hated to see was a bad Hall of Fame game. This may have been one of the worst ones I've seen in a while. And that's saying something because of the fact that a couple years ago, they had, before COVID, they had to cancel one in 20, I think it was 2019 or 2018. It was a couple years ago. They had to cancel it because the field just wasn't up to snuff. I think the Hall of Fame game has just gone downhill in recent years. And the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys is a prime example of that. It was bad. I think it was just more the fact that you had guys that were very much second string after like the first drive. It felt like amateur hour with Ben DiNucci out there, Dwayne Haskins. I was like, are you really just going to trot these guys out? And it further proves something I've said a lot. I think yet Dallas's kicker missed one so far wide right, I think it almost went off screen. That's how bad of a game this was. It was boring. I wish it was a gold medal game on Thursday night rather than Friday night because I would have enjoyed watching that game a lot more than I've enjoyed watching this glorified practice. I'm hoping we don't see that with the Saints next Saturday when they open up preseason play against the Baltimore Ravens. What I really hope I don't see is Ian Book looking better than either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. So if that's the case, you really need to like reconfigure your plans for the like future. Because I just don't. I 
all due respect, I don't see Ian Book being the answer. I don't see Ian Book being the answer for this franchise as a quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be Garrett Grayson-esque where you got this guy in the third round, never played it down. And I did it last week with my tier list. I excluded guys who did not play for the Saints in an actual regular season game. And more importantly, I'd be as they would have all been an F tier. But it's the fact they don't get a grade because they did not play a game at all. So hopefully you, you kind of get where I'm coming from with the Saints. Meanwhile, the quarterback conversation across the league has been fun. I think the 49ers have an interesting conversation to be had with Trey Lance being a starter because he looks really good in training camp so far. Obviously, we'll see when live bullets are actually flying, but I'm almost certain we'll be seeing Trey Lance take over for Jimmy G by the end of the season. Meanwhile, Kirk Cousins. Ooh, Kirk, 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 Kirk. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. He comes down with the vid and basically says, hey, he, he'd much rather have gotten than not gotten vaxxed. I'm like, you idiot. So dumb. The, the way he said that. And apparently a hometown hospital has cut ties with him over the comments about the vaccine. I'm not going to get into the whole vaccine debate if there really is one. Just not going to get that. that. That's not what the show is for. But it's mind-blowing that somebody who actually did have COVID and was activated off the list recently and was deemed as a close contact after Kellen Mond, the rookie, tested positive for it. So it's like he had to be isolated and had some very interesting comments. And maybe he should have kept those comments to himself. Now I'm thinking, you know, he's like basically... Wanted to be a bubble boy. I saw this, like, Catherine Terrell the other day tweeted this out. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And basically saying that he was going to put, like, plexiglass between himself and the players. Like, why are you doing that? You could just, like, you know, get the vaccine and just stop talking about you being kind of a, a dumbo. At least in terms of just, like, bringing it up in the conversation. But, like, at this point, yeah. So this is from Chris Thomason saying that Vikings QB Kirk Cousins says the key issue is to avoid close contact and said he might even put plexiglass around where he is in the facility. Honestly, you should just be like Jake Gyllenhaal and be a bubble boy when it comes right down to it. It's, it's a little weird, but I'm looking forward to seeing how that whole story plays out. Because I'll say this, not a great look. Not a great look at least in terms of losing sponsorships. Just saying. Just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to get in the whole like, debate here because that's not what the show is for. It's for sports, and we'll get back to sports. We'll stick to sports next. Right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We're going to talk UFC 265 with our guy, John Eric Poli, next right here on 103.7 The Game. the octagon to the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between 
The world-famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana Sports Station. Appreciate everybody for listening in. We're coming to you live, as always, from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Right now, we're going to get out to the 103.7 The Game hotline because we got a, a UFC big fight card tonight. Not necessarily as big as some of the ones we've gotten since fans have been allowed to be back in, but still some good stuff tonight out in H-Town with UFC 265. And to do that, we got to get our guy on, John Eric Poli, my MMA news. John, how you doing, brother? Great, man. Excited for fight night tonight. I know, like you were saying, it might not be a car that jumps out to some of the fans, but it's, it's actually, believe it or not, it's a pretty sneaky good main card. I'm actually looking forward to it. Oh, no, same here, same here. But before we get to UFC 265, let's hit the rewind button on our VHS and get to UFC 264 and the aftermath of that whole thing. Because I think that's obviously what we here in Acadiana are more interested in, because obviously... Poirier McGregor 3 ended after a very much freak accident that Conor McGregor has since kind of trying to double down on and saying he went into the fight with the injury. When all honesty, he could have just pushed back the fight because you're still going to be getting the big payday if you, if you put put this fight off like five, six months down the road to make sure you're ready to go for the fight. It just makes me wonder, does Dustin Poirier immediately go for the lightweight title and try and kick this proverbial quadrilogy can down the road, because let's be honest, the only t- uh, the only reason why you would have this quadrilogy fight is if it's for the lightweight title, because you've already had it go down. It's all you've already had the three fights, and they've all been non-title. The only way you can have this fight again and be able to like, make money off of it is by making it for the UFC lightweight title. Yeah, you know, I I think. Poirier, his next move definitely is going to be going for that uh, lightweight championship, 100%, no doubt about it. I'm pretty sure he's made that clear. I think the UFC's made that clear, and Charles Oliveira has made that clear as well. Um, It's got to be the next move, too, mainly because when you look at the landscape of uh, what's going on with Conor McGregor right now, he had that surgery. He's going to be out for quite some time, and I don't think Poirier is going to want to sit around and Sit, sit out till who knows maybe next year because uh, Dana White has come out and said he hasn't expected Connor to step foot inside of the octagon again and for at least 12 months after having that surgery. So I think Poirier is going to go for that lightweight championship uh, next. That should be the next move. And if he wins it, hey, there is the possibility of maybe doing it a fourth time down the road. Personally, I don't think we need to see that a fourth time. But uh, you know how it is with Conor McGregor. He he puts. People in the seats, people buy yep. pay-per-views. If the money's there, people want to see it. We're probably going to see a fourth one. We're probably going to see a fourth one. That, and it sucks because it's like, I get it. You know, there's so much money to be made off of this. But it's like, you never got to see, you never saw like Ali Frazier 4. You never got to see too many of these like big name trilogy fights we talk about all the time. We're never going to see DC Stipe 4. Now, obviously, those went down to like, pure finishes and the last match was last fight was very much a in the pro wrestling would be almost a dusty finish because of the way it ended and it didn't end with a true decision being made it was because of the fact that dude's ankle or, or leg was just completely destroyed 
But it just it makes you wonder, like, why do we need to see a, a quadrilogy fight? Yeah, I listen. I'm I'm with you on that one too. Personally, I don't think we need to see one because when you look at that fight too, Poirier was clearly winning him. He was manhandling him. It was clearly a ten eight round. Two of the three judges did score at a ten eight round. It, the fight clearly was in Poirier's favor. It was it a freak accident that happened? Sure, indeed it was. I know, like you opened up there, you were saying about how Connor was he's doubling down on it, not saying that he had the injury in camp and everything else. But one of the things I don't think that people are paying close enough attention to with that is Connor came out, or uh, maybe it was Dana White, I believe, that may have come out and said it in his in his uh, post fight press conference about Connor. He said Connor asked the Nevada State Athletic Commission for permission if he can wear an ankle wrap or, or tape on his ankles for the fight, and they gave him permission to, and he didn't do it. So that's on Connor. Um, but, yeah, I don't think we need to see it at all. And then you look at other examples, like the ones that you brought up. We haven't seen fourth fights there. And I'm even looking at right now, taking a look at the women's strawweight division. You have Rose Namajunas at the top of it. Yoani and Jacek's been knocking on the door. I mean, she's always right in that title picture. She's probably going to be in a spot where she – can't get a trilogy fight with Rose because she's down 0-2, and she's going to sit around and suffer probably and, and, and figure out a, a next move there as Connor's going to just walk right in and do whatever he wants and get a get a fourth fight when he probably doesn't really deserve it. I think the big X factor there probably, though, is, like I said, Connor puts people in seats and people want to see him fight. I And I'm sure you could probably relate to this. We probably have friends that aren't fight fans at all, but they know who Connor McGregor yep. is and whatever Connor's doing, they're going to watch it, and that's often what comes down to is I have seen so many people who are non-fight fans that only watch when Connor fights and they want to see the fourth fight. And every time they see me, they always suddenly go, hey, when's that fourth fight going to be? And I'm like, hopefully never, but it's probably going to happen. I'm hoping. I'm hoping we don't get to see that, but it's inevitable to me. Let's get to UFC 265 right now because, honestly, it's a pretty, like, it's more of a top-heavy card versus what we've seen in the past at least in terms of notable names. We'll get to the main card in a little bit. But just in terms of the early prelims, I, there, there's probably going to be a fight that we all look back on and like, oh, this was really good. I think to me probably is going to be a light heavyweight bout between Ed Herman and Alonzo Minifeld is going to be something at least I'm intrigued in. There's some other ones to me that just don't necessarily stick out like a sore thumb. What, which one's standing out to you? Yeah, so actually one that uh, I actually have my uh, eye on is uh, Carolina Kolakavich coming back against Jessica Penne because we haven't seen Carolina in quite a while. She took some time off. I know she was banged up with some injuries. She was on a losing streak. She was a little burnt out. Then she uh, got married. So obviously she's in a very good headspace now. She fell in love, got married, had some time to unwind, take a little break. Recently, too, she I brought up Ioana and Jacek before giving an example of having a hard time getting a trilogy, but Ioana has spent uh, quite a bit of time out in Poland helping Carolina out for this fight, and obviously we know what Ioana does inside of the octagon, so it's a, 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 probably a great mentor for Carolina at this moment. So I'm interested to see what she does when uh, she gets back inside of the octagon. I'm excited to see her return, and then I'm sure you guys down there in Louisiana looking forward to seeing Victoria uh, Laredo, she's fighting on the early prelims, I believe. I think they're going to be on ESPN. No, ESPN Plus. I'm sorry. So you're going to have to look on ESPN Plus to see her. She's a Louisiana native. But, uh, of course, then the prelims, like the two fights we mentioned, are going to be on ESPN2 tonight as well as ESPN Plus. A lot of Louisiana like love 
involving like just some great guys, great guys and gals. I mean, we see Liz Carmouche out there; she's done really well. But you know, one of the other things that got is been put a wrench in things is obviously COVID. It's been throwing a wrench into a lot of other things, and it's kind of rearing its ugly head once again. And Amanda Nunes had to pull out of the fight, which could have very well made UFC 265 a lot more intriguing, at least towards the buyers for the Juliana Pena fight that was going to be set up. But obviously, she tested positive. When do you think that's going to be rescheduled? Yeah, I don't know if there's an official word on that one. It was actually funny. If anybody tuned into the press conference the other day, they would have saw this. But if they did it, I'll recap what happened. So it's the usual setup. Media members are asking questions. All of a sudden, you're question for Dana White, and Dana goes, oh, no, it's Julie. <laughs> Juliana Pena actually got a microphone and goes, what's going on with Amanda Nunes? Why isn't she fighting? And then he's like, Juliana, she tested positive for COVID. She's like, why heard she tested negative a few days later? And he goes, I didn't see that. And she's like, well, I want to know when the fight's going to be rescheduled to, because I'm hearing it's not going to be till December. And then Dana said, I don't know if that's that necessarily the case. But don't worry, you're going to fight or you're next. You're going to get the opportunity. So apparently... Juliana Pena is saying that it's not going to be till December. So, again, that's an unofficial word, but you heard it right from the horse's mouth, I guess. Yeah, you heard it from her, and I think that'd be a lot of fun to see that be like potentially. I mean, obviously, what we're talking about this is like I'm hypothetically thinking: Would you put that as a double main event card to end the year, where you see Amanda Nunes being a main event? And Dustin Poirier be the other half of that against Charles Oliveira? Oh, I definitely, it definitely can happen. Uh, obviously, the UFC anymore, they've started, uh, I believe, like a year or two ago, they started doing their cards a little bit differently. And what they started doing was they used to always have an early December card right in the beginning, that first weekend of December. And then they do one right after Christmas. But then a lot of fighters were complaining because they want to spend the holidays with their family. So, Cutting weight around Christmas time kind of sucks, obviously. So it's uh, tough to do. They started just loading up now on December cards, and yeah, that's definitely a possibility because they want to end the year on a big note. That's that's a big note, a, a card like that. Yeah, because like, you got to think about it. Like you have this situation where, let's say, you know, Dustin Poirier, Amanda Nunes, you see that as a double main event, and you put that in December, especially with this year, because the last weekend in December is wait for it. Christmas Day. There's no way you're going to be getting like a crowd for Christmas Day UFC fight night in the midst of everything going on with with them. Uh, you know, you, I, I I don't see it be a possibility at all. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It, it'll be in early December, but that's definitely a possibility to see those two uh, square off. I'm just curious to see. We're talking about COVID creeping back up. What what's going to happen in terms of fights? Everybody's going to do everything out of the UFC Apex. No fans coming up again here soon. Because I hope not. I, I hear a lot of. Yeah, I hear a lot of fighters saying for the uh, the November card, it's supposed to be Madison Square Garden, New York City, of course. You can't even get into a restaurant, a gym, anything, unless you show that you're vaccinated. There's a lot of fighters that aren't vaccinated. Dana White said he's not going to force anybody to get vaccinated. So I just have a feeling uh, that obviously nothing to announce, nothing's official or anything. But the way how COVID seems to be going, I don't know if that November card is going to be happening in New York City. Uh, in fact, Justin Gaethje just said yesterday that he hopes that the fight gets moved out of New York City because he doesn't want to deal with any of that. Yeah, no, I'm almost certain there's going to be a lot of blowback for that because I was seeing it. You brought up MSG. I know the WWE is actually going to be running MSG, I think, before long, in the next couple of weeks. And then, obviously, AEW is going to be doing a show at Arthur Ashe Park. This is more, obviously, pro wrestling. But we're seeing that kind of same thing where, basically, if you're not vaccinated, you're not getting booked on the card. 
yeah, it's it, it's crazy to think this is the world that we live in now. It's 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 ridiculous, and I you know I, I agree with Dana White's you know take on it. It, it. Listen, whatever you want to do with your body, you're allowed to to do is what Dana White said. So it's like it's not like there's your professional athletes that are in tip top shape. If they know what they're doing, okay. If anybody knows the science behind keeping your body in shape and what's best for their body, it's these professional athletes, especially these UFC fighters that are you know, doing things with the Performance Institute and everything else. It's, it's, it's such a travesty to, to have to see something like that, especially in a city like New York City. Like, that's such an iconic place to, to compete in, especially in a place like Madison Square Garden. So it's, it's a shame if we're going to see that card get moved. And especially for people like me, I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm about two hours from New York City. I had friends saying, hey, we should all get together. We should go down. I was looking into maybe getting media credentials to it if I'm able to swing that. But, like, you know, it, it, it's a shame because it's probably not going to happen in this world that we live in now. All right, let's flip it over to the main card right now since we're kind of getting down. We might as well pick ourselves up a little bit as we wrap up this segment. Let's get to Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz as, as the co-main event. I got I to gotta think Jose Aldo could very well get it done and move himself up into towards the top of those bantamweight rankings. Yeah, well, the the thing that I'm really looking forward about this fight is both guys in a similar position where they're like, they kind of fell a little bit towards the back of the top ten. And the Bantamweight division, by the way, everybody, I know the lightweights have been getting all the credit for the past few years. The Bantamweight division, I'm not going to go out there and say it's passed out the lightweight division by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's pretty damn close. They're neck and neck. They're definitely the two best divisions in the UFC. So we know how it is in the lightweight division, same in the Bantamweight division. If you're in the top ten, you can compete for a title and win it, no problems, no question asked. And that's what both of these guys in a situation like that, where they both need, because they're towards the back, and it's starting to get crowded towards the top, they got to start making a run towards the top. So both of these guys, they're going to come out. They know what's on the line in this fight. They know they need a victory. They know that a win puts them in a spot to get a top-five opponent, a bigger-named opponent. They're both going to come out here looking their absolute best because they know what's on the line in this fight. Now we get to the main event. First off, Derek Lewis, Cyril Gain for the interim light, uh, the interim heavyweight championship. Excuse me, they're definitely not lightweights, but the interim heavyweight championship. Derek Lewis, Cyril Gain. Obviously, Stipe taking not going to be not fighting anytime soon. But man, it just feels weird that this is an interim heavyweight championship match. Yeah, definitely. I, I, there's definitely some politics involved in this one for sure because obviously Francis Ngannou just won the title back in March. Like you, thank we've you. Seen I, fighters, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, we, we we've seen fighters wait 13 months before defending the belt and nothing happens. Look at Amanda Nunes. We're talking about Amanda Nunes before when she fights Juliana Pena. It's going to be for the bantamweight title that she holds because she's obviously a double champ. She hasn't defended that since she beat Holly Holm back in 2019. That's crazy to think that only a couple months went by. And this is what's happening. I, I, I'm pretty sure the backstory behind this that isn't really talked too much, and you're never going to see Dana White come out and say this, but uh, uh, some of the things have gotten leaked a little bit. It seems to be that they wanted Ningano versus Lewis in Houston in Derek Lewis's hometown. And Francis Ningano said that he had a vacation plan or he was going back to, to do some charity work. There was, he had some type of travel schedule that he said he wouldn't be able to have a full flight camp and he didn't want to do it because he was committed to something. And Dana White was like, well, then too bad. We're going to put an interim title in there. So that's kind of how this one came about. But, yeah, man, great match up here. I'm looking forward to it, seeing what happens. Of course, Derek Lewis, fan favorite, real heavy hands versus a, a guy in Surreal Gone who's 
relatively, I guess you'd say, new bursted onto the scene. He's only, I believe, 10-0 and 0 as a professional, but great kickboxing resume. This is going to be a good matchup. It's, it's a fun one for the fans to see, that's for sure. Who you got tonight in that one? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I'm still going back and forth about it because I really think Surreal Gone, when you look at his background, former training partner with Francis Ngannou, I believe 18-0 as a professional kickboxer, obviously 10-0 in the UFC. I mean, he's beaten guys like Junior Dos Santos, former world champion, who Derek Lewis couldn't even beat. Uh, Alexander Volkov has over 40 fights as a pro. He beat him. The only thing that I'm really questioning about this one, like I would say nine times out of ten, I would take Surreal Gone in this matchup. I know the the um, odds makers out in Vegas, they have Surreal Gone as a favorite. The thing that has me slightly worried about coming out and telling everybody, yeah, I, I'm 100% on the Surreal Gone bandwagon here, is he just fought a five-round fight back on June 26th. And in my line of, of work here, talking to these fighters, they say all the time like how recovery is important, you can't push too hard. I see a lot of fighters are taking more off days during training camp nowadays because it's the rest of their bodies. When you go through a five-round main event, even if it is one-sided, 25 minutes in the octagon, a whole camp that you did in the lead to that, it, it's a lot on the body. So for Surreal Gone to be stepping in a month and a half after doing that, that's that's a little worrying. How's his body going to hold up there? Does he have a fresh body yeah. coming to this? That's the, that's the big question. Appreciate you coming on, John. Next time I have you on, I'm going to make sure to remember who the champions are. <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. I, listen, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep track of. There's a lot of moving parts in the sport. I know the last time I was on uh, – Sugar Sean O'Malley had a dropout in his opponent, and I drew a blank there. It, it, it happens. There's so yeah. many moving parts in the sport, but, man, we love it, and it's always great talking about it. Heck, yeah. Appreciate it once again, man. Once again, that was John Eric Poli. Appreciate him joining the program, part of my MMA news. And when we come back, I've got one final take, and it's about food. Why? Because it's my show. I like food. And I've got a hot take that I kind of let out over the weekend, last weekend, after the show. I'll get to that next right here on 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 103.7 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. And my final take for this show in particular is food-related, because why not? And it's four words. No slaw, extra fries. I get it. There's a lot of slaw slander involving a certain eating establishment. You know what I'm talking about when I say no slaw, extra toast. Obviously, it's a it's a big to-do. But I think at the end of the day, slaw is, coleslaw, not exactly the best part of the box. And trust me, if you like coleslaw, that's, that's all. That's that's your thing. Me, I'm not the no slaw extra toast guy. I used to be, but I gave credit to my guy Jason Quigley for hooking me up and telling me about no slaw extra fries. That was a life hack unlike any other. So with all due respect to the no slaw extra toast people, I understand why they call that the new trendy brew that. I get it. But the way to be, if you're getting canes, get no slaw, extra frogs. That's it. That's the show. Goodbye, everybody. Be back with you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. 
Appreciate you for listening in. Be back with you. Same bad time, same bad channel. 10 to noon right here on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Peace. Hey, Clavis. Wake up. The show's over. Oh, yeah. Kick it.